0: My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. After a two-week break from interviews, my guest this week is a bodybuilder and former professional strongman who's tearing through social media with a message of fitness, faith, and fatherhood. Please welcome Coach Anthony Deal.
1: This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is... The Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.
0: If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you probably know that the Renaissance of Men is a 40 year process to redeem masculinity, which began in the 1980s and is culminating as we speak in a rediscovery of the redeeming power of the Christian faith for men, women, and families. And if you've never listened before, well, guess what? That's what it is. Congratulations and welcome. But it's also more than that. In fact, when I started this podcast almost three years ago, the grand societal narrative was only a small part of what I intended to cover. I wanted this podcast to be a bit more like a gallery. I had observed that countless men, many of whom were content creators, didn't start out as the leaders they had become. Typically, they started out as far less than that. They were average or often less than average guys who had decided they'd had enough. Maybe they had a crisis, like with their family or health. Maybe they lost a job or took off their shirt in the mirror one day and were simply fed up with themselves. And from that moment on, they decided that they were going to change and nothing was going to stop them. I get that many men long for the call to adventure of a hero's journey. That's why we watch movies, so we can experience that clarity of the call to transformation. But in the real world, that call to adventure is often far less dramatic than Luke Skywalker's. We don't get a wizened old man showing up with an ancient weapon and fantastic stories of days long gone by. We don't see a holographic projection of a princess in trouble and decide to set out on the way. We aren't wheeling and dealing with scoundrels and smugglers who shoot first. And God forbid we should ever come home to find everything we knew burned and destroyed, making forward the only path possible. Yes, we long for that level of clarity, or something like it at least. Of course we do because we want life to make the choice for us. But again, that's not what it means to be a man. We have to decide, which is from the root word chidere, which means to cut. Every decision we make cuts off one set of possible futures for the chance at the future we choose. And our ability to do that, as men and women too, is one of the most significant powers we possess. We might call it true free will, which is more than our ability to pick wintergreen or spearmint toothpaste at the supermarket. Rather, it's the ability we have to put our hands on the wheel of our lives and turn it. This kind of free will choice is far more rare, and is the substance that great lives are built out of. So, returning to the podcast, what I wanted this show to be was a gallery portrayal of different men I had admired that had done just that. Of course, God had other plans for this podcast, as he often does with all things, but that doesn't negate the power of the choice, the purpose of my intention. Or how grateful I am when the opportunity arises to point out a man who exemplifies it. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Coach Anthony Deal, and he's a bodybuilder, former professional strongman, strength and fitness coach, plus husband, father, and vocal man of faith. You might have seen him recently hanging around in our community. He's the dude who looks a little bit like a human Mack truck with tweets and posts to match. He takes no prisoners in the gym or online. Which is probably why he's been canceled at least three times. And by the time you listen to this, who knows, he might mess around and have a couple more. And it's his unapologetic apologetics, outspoken stances, and devastating memes that brought him to my attention. I tend to notice when Christian men are doing bold and interesting things, you know? So I was surprised to learn that he had been on his own hero's journey from the circumstances of his birth to childhood, upbringing, adulthood, transformation, and arrival on the scene. He's followed a path as unique as any man's. In other words, he didn't begin life as the man he is. He didn't start out as a finished product. And like all of us, is still a work in progress. That's what I intended to illustrate with this podcast, what it means for different kinds of men to each have their own personal renaissance. And while my focus on the show has expanded to many other topics, I'm grateful to Anthony for reminding me why I got into this business in the first place, to document redemption, reconciliation, and rebirth in real time during this special moment in history. Praise God and hallelujah. In our conversation, Anthony and I discussed fighting the good fight on social media, his background and Christian upbringing, single mothers and noble stepfathers, his father's discipleship, the Protestant theology of vocation, men, women, and grief, plus fitness, nutrition, capability, and vanity. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, plus a five-star review on Spotify. This podcast is growing remarkably month over month, and it's so rewarding to see. Glory to God for all of it, and thank you for being a part of it. The Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee, purveyors of fine coffee beans, hand-roasted by Pastor Brandon Lansdowne in Springfield, Missouri. Reformation Coffee just got some big news. They've been selected to provide the coffee for Grace Agenda, the major conference put on by Christchurch in Moscow, Idaho, you know, Doug Wilson's crew, this is massive. I could not be happier for Brandon, Cassie, Matt, and the team, especially because there are lots of coffee makers who market themselves to the reformed faith, but they're not putting in the care, attention to detail, and devotion to their business like Brandon is, and that dedication is paying off. Reformation won't be shipping coffee during early August as they head out to the conference and back, probably with a trailer full of coffee beans but there's still time to get your orders in before the event. Go to ReformationCoffee.com and enter the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag of coffee with your monthly subscription. Again, big congratulations to the whole team at Reformation Coffee who'll be caffeinating a thousand people or more, including some of my most valued teachers. Say a prayer for Brandon and the entire team as they prepare for this enormous accomplishment. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast, a brother in faith, and true man of the Renaissance, Coach Anthony Deal. Anthony, man, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it,
0: man. You know, I'm I'm pretty sensitive to um, to my, I might say, professional creative environment to social media creators, and I notice when new guys come around, and uh, you started coming around a few months ago, and and uh, and you made a pretty grand entrance, and I picked up on some of the stuff you were saying. <laughs> really quickly and uh, and so I'm glad that I'm excited to be able to have this conversation with you because uh you've been swinging the sword pretty boldly on Twitter, so <laughs> let's let's get ahead of the storm. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you say that because I'm wondering
2: which of the grand entrances because um, because <laughs> the social media gods have struck me down multiple times, and I just keep rising back up so Twitter <laughs> in fact uh right now i'm i have 5 days left of a ban so i'm not active right now i can see everything but uh, i have 5 days left yeah it what the average seems to be that i can run my mouth for about 3 weeks and then they'll shut me down for a week and then so that's been the pattern the last 4 months is i'm active 21 days out of a 30 day and then uh and they take me off for a week and it's good because i get to recharge and come back fresh <laughs>
0: Get a little break from get a little break from the craziness. Well, what what was the tweet that did it yeah. this time? Do do you get the opportunity to delete tweets now, or they just they just put you in timeout?
2: Well, it's irritating because um, it, it looks like they give you an option that you can just delete the tweet, but they're still going to put you in timeout anyways. And oh. man, I tell you what, there, there's there's something. I deleted a few tweets that I thought where I was genuinely wrong in my spirit. Um, And this is something I'm trying to do better at is, um, I think there's a time and place. In fact, I know there's a time and place for harsh speech. We see the prophets do it, Jesus does it, Paul does it. What I see typically, the paradigm that I try to follow is, they will absolutely all paint with broad brushes. I mean, Jesus Mm -hmm. just says, to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs, all of these things. And then when Nicodemus comes to him, he has a... He's, he's tender and he's gentle and he has a conversation about the new birth, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Paul basically tells the Judaizers, hey, go ahead and emasculate yourselves <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> while you're at it, right? So there's harsh speech, but the pattern that I see is, you know, when you're when you're attacking an ideology, when you're attacking a large swath, this big sin, um, yeah, give it the sword. Be, be like, um, say Boniface and take that ax to the root But then when you're dealing with the individual, be kind, be tender, correct opponents with gentleness. And I'll just be honest, I suck at that. And it's something I'm praying for, for my heart is, I told my wife the other night is, people that know me know that I'm opinionated, not afraid to say what I believe, but if anybody knows me in person, they know I'm the biggest teddy bear. I have a ton of gay friends. And all of them would attest to you that I am exceptionally kind to them. And I will also not back down on my views, right? But for whatever yeah. reason, the social media space, uh, and I'm guilty of this. We dehumanize each other. And so yeah. I, I want to cultivate that spirit in myself. And I'm, and I'm working towards it where Christ is reviled and he doesn't revile again. And so I have deleted yeah. some tweets where I was like, okay, that was just uncalled for. I was just being mean but the one that the one that got me uh that has like 100,000 views right now which isn't a ton i mean i'm a small account but the one that caused the firestorm was i just said the women who mock the patriarchy uh I, I can't remember the exact quote but basically i said they all have these things in common they're on their second or third marriage multiple baby daddies high bmi green hair like i just went down the list right like it was it was an incendiary device so on twitter good. Right. And so yeah. naturally I got I got blown up with like three kinds of responses. Um the raging feminists who I mean that just absolutely was like pouring salt onto a slug and just there was leaping and gnashing of yeah. teeth or or like, well look at me, I'm the exception because blah 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 blah, I only meet two of your three criteria. Um or mm. um a few a lot a lot of big eva type pastors so that was too harsh that was too mean to tone it down Mm -hmm. kind of thing Mm -hmm. um so those were those were kind of the and then a lot of debates and stuff jumped off underneath my post but i got i got canned for the week so i can't really reply to anything which is probably a good thing and that's okay Mm -hmm. um so yeah some of those replies uh I just look back and I'm like, man, no, that wasn't Christ-like. I'm not sorry at all for my original tweet. uh, Because again, I'm broad brushing an idea to make a point. I think if I would have tagged a person specifically and just made fun of their appearance and berated their character, that's a problem. I think that's wrong. But attacking ideologies broadly, I'm here for it.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, so... I want to get into your background, but actually, I think I want to pursue this topic first because I think it's probably up for a lot of us, not just those of us who create content, but also those of us who consume content and those of us who comment on other people's, like we live in this social media world, right? And we're in this battleground of ideas, you know, for for men and women and and our, our world is saturated with bad ideas and people who carry these bad ideas and they don't recognize that they're carriers of these bad ideas. And I think it's really important that we have to learn as Christian men and women, how to distinguish uh, right speech, godly speech and aggressive and harsh, harsh speech, and how those two mesh together, when to recognize one versus the other, when to question the intentions of our own heart, and how to navigate the space, because you know it's no longer it's no longer to the point where we can um, simply just be winsome and whatever and, let, and let the bad ideas march forward into culture. It's actually like it's actually quite late in the day as far as things go. And so it's almost like we're there's a rear guard action that needs to be fought. But what I stress to people is it's not important just that we fight, but how we fight. And that's what makes us different from like the pagans. They just care about power at all costs and they don't have a moral center beyond whatever their bros say honor is. We have a higher standard to appeal to. How do we put that into practice in the social media age and communication when that's unprecedented virtually in human history? So these are very very real questions. And so and so I know that so it sounds like you've you've crossed that line as far as Twitter, (laughs) Twitter and social media (laughs) things, which is a how do you know when you cross that line inside yourself? Like how do you discern like, okay, I wasn't right in my heart when I did that? Like what what tools do you use for that? Well I think it comes
2: down to having your personal convictions settled because the fact of the matter is I can be settled, have a clear conscience before God and there is still going to be a whole swath of people that think, oh, no, you're too harsh. And so I mm. can't look to the mob. Um, I would say, I, I pray about it. I talk with my men that are close to me in my circle, talk with my elders, like, hey, did I, did I cross the line? So there's a small circle of men I have in my life. And frankly, I care about what they think. And, and that's part of what irritated me uh, about my responses to some of these people when I knew that I was being just hurtful back. That's pride, that's arrogance, Mm. that's me wanting to be right. And the fact of the matter is, why do I care about what random people on the internet think about my position here? Um, Like, like why? And that's, again, it's that pride, it's that root. Realistically, there's like 10 to 15 men that if I was, if they thought I was too harsh, I would, I would reflect and go, okay, you know, um, maybe I need to do some reflection here. So I just, I've kind of worked through this. I have that standard in my heart. What are my intentions? Am I maligning that person just to win, quote unquote, win this, to make them feel badly? Mm. They made me feel badly. So I'm going to make them feel badly back. Um, there's, there's no real win there. And I think we all know where that is. Uh, but I also think it's going to be different too. Um, you know, I found, I found that within even my reformed sphere, men and women are different. I almost get no pushback from men in my world of, Hey, that's too harsh, but I'll get plenty of women in my world who are like, Oh, that's so mean. We should tone that down. And I think that's the fundamental difference between males and females. And so, you know, I'm not I'm not leaning too heavily on that critique, and I try not to reply back in kind. There,
0: mm. yeah, you have to allow yourself to not be to not have your own emotional response triggered. Like I tell Correct. men, you know, to move forward with steady pressure and make sure that your emotions don't get wrapped in wrapped into it. Like I remember, I remember um, a great example of this is you can watch Kevin Samuels. Have you heard of Kevin Samuels? Does that name sound familiar? I have it. No. So he was a he was a, a sort of red pill content creator on YouTube. He had a couple incredible years, twenty twenty one, especially, um, and uh, uh, he passed away last year. He died died suddenly, and um, but he uh, would have host a, a YouTube sort of call in show, you know, like a, like a it's like a radio show, streaming that sort of thing, and he would. Um, he was very, a very big proponent of basic red pill kind of truths, you know, and from a godless perspective, but red pill truths. And so women would call in and they would argue with him. And he was a master at just walking through all of their objections step-by-step and being unflappable, right. And not getting himself emotionally wrapped up in the discussion, even though women are throwing, you know, vitriol and hatred and shame and all this stuff at him and he's just walking through it like it's neo through a hail of bullets and i think there's a that's what i try to direct men to is that you're if you speak up for masculinity in any forum social media or even perhaps in your church or community you're going to start getting immediate pushback from your environment and you have to learn how to navigate through that without these hooks getting caught in your heart and getting you all activated over it
2: yeah well and that's that self control that's at the heart of yeah. manliness, and that you know, and yes. I still see that little boyish pride creep up in me, mm-hmm. and so that's an area where I need to subdue it and it was very providential, honestly, that I got banned from Twitter when I did because it was a hard reset. I can't talk right now, sometimes it's good to sit in silence again. I don't yes. regret my tweet for a second, but I've been reflecting this last week big time on what we just talked about, and That always is my aim is I will absolutely attack ideas broadly, but I try to be tender with people. But I've just noticed I excel at that in person and I am terrible about that on social media. For whatever reason, um, that avatar doesn't come alive. Like If I haven't met that person, and it's funny because I've noticed that if I have met the other person, I tend to be more gracious to them as well. I have right. multiple friends on social media that will comment, but we have very diametrically opposed views. And because I know them and I've met them and I value that relationship, I take my time to make sure that I'm not overly offensive in how I might disagree. Whereas it's like someone comments something, um, you know, some vitriol I'm just that I don't know. I'm just like, it's immediately there's this rage and that's just boyish immaturity that needs to be mm-hmm. worked out of my life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel that I definitely have gotten a good sense of when someone's actively trying to provoke me with some nonsense on Twitter. (laughs) And, uh, you know, really, I mean, calibrating, like, it's the passive aggressive comments, you know, like, it's, it's so silly. It's so silly. I'm I'm almost certain the person who posted this isn't going to hear it. But like, on I posted something on Instagram, it would have been a couple months ago. And someone replied with just the word, hmm. And I got, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> you know, because zero substance, zero content, the most passive aggressive baiting thing ever. And I'm like, I just want to vaporize this person from space. But I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to walk away. Just let it sit there. <laughs> but it's that passive aggressiveness that really gets to me, man. Oh, I, I get it. Well, the other, here's another
2: Interesting take. A catch twenty two. I find that I get more triggered, more emotionally hyped up by nonsense coming from people who claim to be Christians. So when I uh. get the person reply back and it says Reverend Doctor So and So, he, him, pride flag, Ukrainian flag, whatever else, yes. <laughs> and they're go go down go down the emoji list, and then yeah. and they're gonna let into me. I just get so angry because I'm like, this person is 100% twisting scripture and I just want to rail back when, when someone else does it, I'm like, oh, well, they're pagans. So whatever, like that's what pagans do. Um, (laughs) So, so yeah, there's that, there's that little element there where it's like, uh, I just, yeah, I think it's just pride. I think it's pride and you just need to learn to rein it in, let it go, and pursue the conversations that are worth pursuing because there actually were some really good comments on there of people who disagreed and did so in a uh, cordial fashion. And I was like, oh, interesting. And we kind of mm-hmm. went back and forth for a little bit and it was good and it was
0: profitable. And then, you know, so it's tricky. Whenever, Well, whenever, so, and, and the worst is when they say, well, that's not very Christ-like. <laughs> <That's
2: the word. laughs> right.
0: I had, I Uh-oh. had a, uh, I, I had, I think
2: it was like, a Unitarian Universalist something something tell me that I was oh, going no. to hell and I was like excellent. <laughs> that is an endorsement coming from you. <laughs> you understand this, oh, right?
0: <laughs> man, oh, I've I've been very fortunate to get. I get a lot of New Age people because that's that that's mm-hmm. not that I was on Twitter during that time in my life, but um, I I know I see and know all the flaws in that ideology, and so so from time to time I'll do. I'll do Twitter threads, and when the and when the psychedelic bros come out of the woodwork, that's just like <laughs> they get really wrapped up in the things that they're super committed to. Let me tell you. How, yeah, I, I don't know how you feel about utilizing
2: the block button, but I utilized it a lot that day. Uh, sometimes I'm like, "Oh, that's weak." You're just silencing voices. But then I'm so I'll tell you the the comment that made my blood pressure rise the highest, um, and I blocked this woman because I realized that. Um, whatever was about to come out of my mouth was not going to be good. Um, mm. Is I forget her, <laughs> so I forget this for my her benefit. name. Yeah. Yes. Correct. I forget her name. I feel like I've seen her share your stuff, Eric Kahn stuff. Um, she's one of these women that used to go to John MacArthur's church and she just lives and breathes trying to ch- tear down that ministry for supposed oh, abusive wow. ups and things like that. Forget her name. Tons of followers on Twitter. Um, and she retweeted my thing and, Well, she went through, I guess, and uh, looked me up on Facebook, did a bunch of stalking of my personal life and found out that my, my mom passed away um, almost this time last year. And so she was like, she was like, if your mother was still alive, what would she think of you uh, on here talking to women this way? Oh, man. And I was like, in my head, I know exactly what my mom would say. And it's not family friendly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I was like, it's not a button. family friendly podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Block button, block button for my own sanctification.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Block button. Take the phone. Go and throw it across the room like a live grenade. Like yes. I'm gonna, I'm about to. I'm about to crawl through this phone and back up through your screen and stick my foot up your ass. Like, that's what you do. with
2: Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. You just described my feelings very well.
0: Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Oh, that's, see, that's, that's not very Christ-like, but you know, like whenever, whenever anyone says that, that's my opinion discarded is immediately what happens there. But that's, I'm sorry that happened. That's just rude. Like, how do you do someone's dead, dead, dead relative? Like what, in what, in what universe is that? Okay.
2: Right. To try and leverage that against somebody. So, so yeah, it was, uh, it's been a fun few days,
0: yeah so let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about Twitter just kind of in general because one of the things I know that you're active on both Twitter and Instagram, and one of the things that me and a lot of my bros are recognizing is that whatever's going on on Instagram, engagement is like way, way down. I haven't really noticed too much because I don't have one of the bigger accounts, but it seems that there's this big wave which I'm frankly in favor of of people going over to Twitter because that's where the engagement is. Have you noticed that? Or maybe you do different things on those two platforms.
2: I do. Well, here's what I've noticed as a, as a coach, I have entirely two different uh, follower sets, entirely different. I also Mm -hmm. joined um, Instagram threads because I just want one more way for, you know, big brother to track me, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. Just see what what people's doing over there. Um, And, there are features of threads that I like because I can make a thread and share it directly to Twitter or to my Instagram story or to my feed. So it's like one mm. less copy-paste feature I have. But what I noticed is that threads is just Twitter for people who have Instagram but don't really have anything to say because Instagram oh. is largely visual. And so I'm like, I'm, there's, I've been on it now for like two weeks. I'm like, I don't know where this is going to go. Uh, but engagement is way down. Um, Again, I'm on my third iteration of Instagram, so I don't have that many followers, like just under 6,000. My first account had like 30,000. They killed that um, because I said trans were groomers, so that will get you taken off, just FYI. Um, <laughs> just Yeah, and then I had another yeah. account. So the account that I have now is, um, is my third go. I started it in June of last year, but what's interesting, though, is it didn't affect my business anyway because here's what happens. We all know that Instagram, uh, the way the algorithm works, if you get point eight to one percent engagement on your total followers, it's kind of standard. Okay, so okay. this is how you can absolutely see if people are buying followers, which is really hilarious. If they have a hundred thousand mm-hmm. followers and their posts are getting, you know, two hundred likes, you're like, mm-hmm. uh, okay, I see all of your followers are Russian bots. Got it. Um, right. But, so. What I saw is they deleted my first account. So out of that, you know, let's say 25 to 30,000 people I had originally, I'm really only getting like 1% of those people really digging into my stuff on a consistent basis. So what happens immediately is I come back on Instagram, all my loyal followers and friends are like, hey, my bro's page got taken down, give this guy a follow. So all my old loyal followers follow me right back anyways. And mm-hmm. they tell their friends, which then brings in another fresh group of followers who are like-minded. Mm-hmm. So what I noticed was that my business actually grows every single time they cancel me. Because right. I don't care about the total number. I care about the kind of followers I'm getting. So I'm on right. my third iteration now. And it's interesting because my story views and everything like that are all roughly the same until I noticed I uh, it started to dip, for me at least with a launch of threads. And I don't know if there's any correlation there whatsoever,
0: but yeah, my story views are down like 70%. Oh, wow. Okay. So this explains a lot. So so we started out the conversation and I noticed you kind of showing up in the environment, but this explains a lot that you actually have a lot of social media savvy already. Because like, who's this dude who's just like, Chopping through the field, right? It's like, oh, okay, okay. Like he's he's a he's a resurrected, a risen warrior who was taken off the battlefield and airdropped back. He respawned. Is yes, respawned. <laughs> exactly. He picked up someone's loot drop. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> okay, so that that actually makes a lot of sense. That you've been you've been at this for a while, but maybe you've gone in a more theological direction recently, or is that is that is that also Ooh. new, or were you been bringing that in? Oh man. Well, there's a long story here, so I'm trying to figure out how how much of the story
2: to, let's, let's. Tr- I'll try to tell a 30,000-foot view and give enough details. Long story mm-hmm. short, I was raised in a Christian home um, with, with arguably the best parents that you could have this side of heaven. I'm very blessed. My mom was not so blessed. She uh, had a very rough home life. She was kidnapped, raped when she was 16, and had me. Oof. Refused to have an abortion, decided to have, keep me instead. Um, homeschooled herself to finish and get her diploma. Uh, so I lived with my grandfather. My dad started dating my mom when I was two, and um, he is he is one of the godliest, hardworking men of character that I know. And he he asked my grandfather if he could adopt me and marry his daughter. And he sold wow. his prized Mustang so he could afford to adopt me, so my mom and I could change our names on the same day. So I do remember their wedding when I was three. It's one of my first memories. Wow. Um, so, so my dad's always been my hero. Um, I tried to model how I discipline my kids the way he did with us. Naturally, because of mom's trauma, she had a lot of trust issues, a lot of anger issues. And so she could sometimes just discipline out of just frustration or rage. Yeah. So dad just set a rule in the house. He deals with all the discipline issues. And so I often heard the "You wait till your dad gets home," (laughs) and you know, and and so. But what I remember is my parents did spank, and I think that was the right move. And Dad would always come in the room, sit me down. um, Always had a Bible. He he would open it, explain to me why why he was uh, disciplining me in this way, spank me. Would always then finish up with a big hug and say, "I love you. I forgive you, and we don't need to bring this up anymore." and then relationship restored. And so, okay. and so this is how I grew up. I feel like I, I was just incredibly privileged. I grew up in a great home life, in church from the day I could possibly remember, Sunday, Wednesday, twice on Sunday, uh, anytime the doors were open. So I grew up knowing the lingo. When I got to middle school, I quickly realized um, that my friends were idiots, and they're going out getting drunk, and getting high, and getting in trouble, and this was not because I had this all-consuming passion for the glory of God. It was, I'm a very practical person, and that looked incredibly inconvenient. And mm. so I began to be the, I was I was the model kid, the leader in the youth group. I preached my first sermon at age 11, um, at a wow. nursing home, in the choir, all the youth group trips. You know, I just was the, the model kid. And I think looking back and analyzing my heart in that, I realized that when I did all that, it kept my parents off my back. I got the approval of all the authority figures in my life, and because I was raised in a Christian home, went to church and was in a Christian school. Um, like I didn't, ha- well, they would say, "Bring your unsaved friends to church," I was like, "What is that? There are people who don't believe in God." What? <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> One or so, two, I've heard.
2: Uh, correct. Uh, certainly not my friends or family. Yeah. And so went away to went away to college, a Christian college, to pursue a degree in theology, and. Uh, realized in my second year there from a message I was listening to by John Piper, and he was talking about people using God for their own glory. And it light bulb moment that I was the older brother in the prodigal son story. Like I thought I had something to offer. I was God's gift to the church, whatever else. And 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 because of my mom's background and the hardness of her life, I think um, she always would talk to me. You know, you're special. God's going to use you in a special way. And I know that she meant to do those things out of a, a good place. But that lodged in my head. I thought I was actually something yeah. special, right? Yeah. And I realized, holy cow! In my little bubble of my Christian world, I'm actually using God, and He says very clearly, I will not give my glory to another. <laughs> and, so, mm. and so I realized then I was, I was lost as could be. I became a Christian, genuinely. was saved and, um, and discipled there in college. Married my, married my wife and I met in college. We moved to Kentucky so I could pursue a degree at Southern Seminary. was leading worship at a Reformed Baptist church there. And fast forward a couple of years, we have a few kids. And then we wanted to get pregnant again. And we had our first three in succession. Uh, my kids are 10, eight, and seven. Um, and so we mm-hmm. just had them back to back to back. And then we wanted to have another child and we were struggling all of a sudden, like a year and a half, couldn't get pregnant, couldn't get pregnant. My Wife is really praying, pouring her heart out to God. Finally, we get pregnant. And then I like, I can't, The uh, um, week 24, 25, we lost the baby. And that mm-hmm. was just very hard for my wife. Um, she kind of, She'll tell you, she grew bitter with God. And at the time that all of this is going on, the background, I'm working at uh, Starbucks. I'm an operations manager there. I am in seminary, and I picked up the hobby of strongman. I got good at it. Okay, And what ended up happening is I had started to fall away from the Lord, I was going through the motions and never stopped going to church, but I had Mm -hmm. started getting obsessed strongly. Mm. Um, What I picked up as a hobby began to be my outlet. And because we lived in Kentucky, we had no family there. Um, We were kind of on an island. And so we were young, we needed two incomes, but we didn't want our kids at a daycare or anywhere else. So what ended up happening is I would work in the morning. The second I would get home, it would be changing of the guard. Lindsay went and worked at night, three to 11 at the hospital. And so for several years, we were basically just single parents uh, in the same house. Oh, wow. And then on Saturdays, Saturday's is a strongman day. So I'm gone for half the day. When I come back, I'm absolutely exhausted. So my family is getting the worst of me. I'm just tired and want to sit around. And then Sunday is church day and, and then prep for the week and, and do it all again. And mm. I had definitely lost my focus in terms of being the father and the husband that I should be, it was not leading my family. I was just going through the motions. And um, when we lost the baby, there was somebody at church, you know, the, the well-meaning person that's an idiot and shouldn't talk and just comes up to you and says, so are you just going to try for another? <laughs> oh. and, right? and I, thinking that I am being the leader in my family uh, and taking the burden off of Lindsay, making the decision, I just said, no, we're done. We're not trying. Free enough. Well, in her heart, that's a very hard thing for a woman to be like, oh no. And I thought I was mm-hmm. making the right call. She got very angry at God because she had prayed so hard for this child and angry at me. And then also she struggled because men and women grieve differently. And so interesting. So she didn't see me shed a ton of tears. And the the reality is, I mean, to this day, I still have the the onesie announcing that we were gonna have that baby right here on my desk drawer. And oh, so wow. wow. Yeah. And so it meant a lot to me. And it's and I struggled with it. I just struggled differently. And I thought I was being strong for my wife and I didn't let her see my struggle. So she thought I didn't care. So long mm-hmm. story short, a lot of things happened in our marriage. Our marriage was on the rocks. Like we were on the edge
0: of just giving it up. And um because you said that. That's that's what or it was kind of everything. It was everything. And
2: I had started walking away from the Lord. I'm pursuing a strong man. She's kind of calling me out for not being present, being a leader. I just didn't want to hear it. And so we had never mm-hmm. fought in our life. Like our marriage, up until that point, till twenty eighteen, I could count on one hand the times that we ever even remotely elevated a voice. Like we just got along from day one. We were very close and compatible. We just never fought over anything. Mm-hmm. Um and it, it was tough. Um, I was not there. I was not a, a good present husband, father, and she was fed up with it. And my business at the time, my coaching business was growing and it, to the point where I was gone now from both Starbucks and Amazon full-time. And I realized this marriage is going to die unless we get some serious help. I was talking to my parents and they convinced us that it'd be a good idea to move back home, back to Pennsylvania because all of my family are believers. They all live within a 15 to 20 minute radius. Mom and dad would love to take the kids from us so that we can get proper counseling. We can go on dates. We can really focus on us. So Hmm. we decided to do that. Sold our house in Kentucky moved back in 2020 and by God's grace, um, found, got help that we needed. And, uh, found a church that is amazing, not perfect. If it was perfect, we would not have joined it because then we would have ruined it. But it was it's an awesome church and have been growing the last several years. And I have just been pouring into what does this mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a father? What does it look like to lead my family? And then providentially, we didn't know coming back in 2020 that Mom was going to pass away in 2022 of cancer. So I'm very thankful to have been home so that my kids and myself got those last two years with their Nana. And we're uh, here for that. So, all that to say, yes, a lot of what you're seeing on Twitter and Instagram is um, I tell people a lot when I make posts that might seem like they're coming down from a high horse, like, hey, do this. Realistically, what you're seeing is I'm talking to myself. Looking in the mirror and saying, "If I need this, other men do too, and so right. i'm just sharing the things that I need to hear, and so yes, I would say, in the last two and a half years has been a a big leap forward in my walk with God and understanding my role and my mission as a man, and then trying to live up to that.
0: Wow, wow, well, first of all, thank you for all that. What an incredible and moving story um, and that to me exemplifies everything the renaissance of men is about it's to to see you go from you know essentially your origin story which i want to get into like how you grew up as a kid and your dad and discipline and then going on this journey out into the wilderness through strong man and marriage falling apart and having to find your way back into the faith you know to what it really be means to be a man in a godly way back into faith and family and community that whole thing is entirely what the renaissance of men is. Redemption, rebirth, taking all the pains and mistakes and errors of the past and making something beautiful and good and true out of them and allowing them to be redeemed by God's grace and to be open as men and honest about that is so incredibly powerful. And I hope I hope men and women are listening because, you know... I think that there's a lot of legitimate grievances. Let's say that that uh, women and men have about the fathers and stuff in their lives, and that's completely fine. We're all sinners in need of a savior, and we live on Earth. But the difference is, men who are willing to be honest about that, engage in the process of redeeming it, and become you know not completed but completed men on the other side, and truly able to lead. That is everything the Renaissance of men is about. Thank you for illustrating it with your story. Absolutely. So the first thing. You said a whole bunch of stuff that I want to dig into, but the first thing that stood out for me is, and this is going on in, in the in the sort of uh, masculinity space right now, is the notion of of uh, stepfathers. Like your father, you know, came in and adopted you and sold his Mustang to be a, a father to you. And there there are a lot of single mothers out there from various circumstances that are out there in the dating pool. And I was just having a I was having a discussion with one yesterday who believe. That because they're single mothers they'll never meet anybody, and i don't and i I don't agree with that I disagree with that very strongly. I know for a fact is true, but let's talk about your dad and taking that step and and his character and what he did for you and, and your mother if if you don't mind talking about that yeah, absolutely absolutely okay. so so um just share a little bit about your dad like what was um, perhaps you've spoken with him about this, like what was behind that decision, what was going on for him. And give some insight into his character because I know these men exist. So um, they certainly do. And part of it is
2: my dad, his side of the family and my mom's side of the family, they all went to the same church together. Now, my dad did not grow up with my mom. Uh, When they started going to that church, my dad was already off at college. Mm -hmm. Um, He went to one year at a Christian college in Florida, uh, Trinity Baptist, and, uh, and realized very quickly that that was not for him. His dad's an electrician. His brother's an electrician. My dad's an electrician. Uh, so he came back and just went started going to work. Now he does all the bidding and estimating for his company. Um, <clears throat> so while he was away in college, um, his brother, who's a couple years older than him, Mike and his wife Terrier, going to church, and they knew my my mother and her dad and. And uh, we're going to church there and so they kind of knew of her and knew her character kind of knew her story and her background um, and they just said they they said uh, my dad always tells the story that Terry reaches out to him say hey, when you come back for uh, for break we want to set you up on a on a date which Would you'd be interested my dad's reply was send me a picture <laughs> right <laughs> which is a class hey legit so gets yeah. a picture and, and he goes all right <laughs> we'll go for it and um, and <laughs> And found out right away, obviously, my mom introduces me because I'm with her everywhere. She's living with her dad at this point. My grandfather's still out working, doing his thing. Um, And from what I hear from my dad and from my mom, it never caused any kind of, there was no second guessing. Okay, nice to meet you. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. um, from what I I can't remember it, because I was so young, like I said, my first memories are I do remember the wedding day. I do remember having a matching tuxedo of his. I do ironically remember his dad, my pop-up. I didn't know him very well at the time, and I was living with my other grandfather, right? So I remember at the wedding, his dad is holding me, and uh, they're still on film. I see my other grandfather walking my mom down the aisle and I scream, I want my other pop up.
0: <laughs>
2: as a, a three year old, like it's in the wedding footage. Um, mm-hmm. So, but yeah, for my dad, it was just a non issue. It was, he got to know my mom. I went with them on all of their dates. Apparently, I was with them when he proposed as well. Wow. Um, I'm not in that picture and I don't have any recollection of that. But um, my dad is just a steady, easygoing, I think I've seen him lose his temper like once in my whole life, ever Uh, it takes a lot to rattle him, he and I are opposite personalities I am type A just, I'm up here a lot and my Mm -hmm. dad, you can't rattle him he is unshakable and just the definition of poise and self-control and Mm he hard worker Want to protect and provide for his family. Always prioritized mom and made that clear. I think that's really important. You want to see a marriage fail, um, make it kid-centric. My dad was very clear that my mom was number one, and that was good for us kids. And uh, and so that that's my recollection of my dad, and that's how he still is today. Just even keel, steady. Um, I never witnessed... Uh, I've I've watched him lose jobs, and I've watched him lose his mom. I've watched him go through suffering. When I was when I was six years old, I'll never forget. They bought their first house, little tiny brick house, and uh, I was in upstate Pennsylvania. They'd been in there for six weeks. We get this bam, boom, boom 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 on the door, two o'clock in the morning. The fire department's there the dam has broke, the creek is rising six feet an hour, you have 45 minutes to get out of your house, it will be underwater. Wow. And so I remember my mom, I had a bunk bed in my room, and she's just like, here's a trash bag, put as much clothes as you can in here, everything else try to throw to the top bunk. And I'm little, and my mom has a newborn, my, my little sister is barely one, so they're just running around the house. Trying to... So I remember escaping out of there and going and staying with my uncle and aunt for several months. And I remember The flood came through, and and it did. It just demolished the house six weeks after they bought it. Whoa. And, and, you know, so you think about this. I think about this all the time. When my dad was the age that I am now, he had a 17-year-old son. Mm -hmm. And I think, wow, if I had a 17-year-old at the age I am now. Crazy. And so I watched him go through a lot of hard times, and I watched him, but I never watched him question God. I never watched him lose faith. I never watched him get depressed. Uh, I mean, he was depressed that he lost his house, but it's like, you know. It's allowed. Correct. He's depressed, you know, scratching his head. And again, I'm a little kid at the time, so I can't, I don't see and hear the conversations he had with mom behind closed doors and how much that tore up his soul. But what I saw as a kid was a dad who just went right back to work. Yeah. Let's just go right back to work and
0: keep building. Men, stop me when this sounds familiar. Since 2020, you've felt isolated from friends, family, and coworkers around you. You've felt their beliefs and practices shift in ways you don't agree with. You've had to avoid uncomfortable topics, sometimes explicitly. And maybe, as part of that, your beliefs have changed as well, falling more in line with biblical truth and less with your upbringing or culture. So you feel yourself separating from the men around you in your social clubs or groups, and that's left you on your own. Maybe your wife has noticed and said something. You feel it in your heart too, but you don't know where to go because you're looking for more than just camaraderie and laughs, you want brotherhood, and more than brotherhood, Christian fellowship, and more than Christian fellowship, but discipleship that helps you grow as a man. You've had that before in pieces maybe, or maybe you didn't realize that you needed it, but now the need is real and present, because you realize you can't do it on your own. You've tried, and it's not working like you'd hoped. Enter my new men's group, the Council. This new monthly membership group is designed to help bring those missing pieces back into your life with a network of believing brothers around the country and ultimately the world. But the Council isn't like many other men's groups. It's not a clubhouse or a man cave. It's a place for the highest values of the Renaissance, dignity, excellence, and Christian fellowship. I want it to be a space for men to draw strength from, to bring that virtue back into their lives wherever they may be. And now, the Council is open to the public. If you're a man 18 years and older and a Bible-believing Christian at any stage of life looking to grow in strength and virtue, the Council is the place for you. There are a number of member benefits I'm very proud of. First, regular Bible studies with my own notes, sometimes up to 40 minutes per day. You can listen live as I record my podcasts like this one. Plus, you have the ability to send me questions from my new Ask Me Anything podcasts, and I'm planning for much more than that. This group is barely a couple weeks old and is already growing fast, so now is the time to get in as bonds are being formed early, and the price will never be lower than it is right now. If you want a men's group that puts God and Christ at the center without sacrificing manliness, the council is for you there might be a man in there you can learn from or a man who can learn from you. And now you can visit my updated landing page, renofmen.com council to learn more. Once again, go to renofmen.com council to find out about this online group and how you can be a part of it. And I look forward to seeing you in the council. It's funny you mention that because, you know, it's similar like when my dad was my age, he had he had a teenage, teenage, teenage son that looked a lot like him, <laughs> right? And it's and you know it, it makes me think about something that I, I want to dig into, which is it seems that there we we talk about how how um, I, I'll use the word weak men are today, and I think that's true, but I think there's I think there's something else. Maybe it's not resilience, you know, lack of resilience. It's something where it's like the hardships of life seems to me that it hit prior generations and they just like at prior generations of men particularly. And they're like, okay, well, we'll just keep going. And now it's fodder for social media. Ironically, you know, it's like, Oh, woe was me? This terrible tragedy. Let me, let me go hide. It's like, no, life will, life will deal you blows. And it's your responsibility as a man, particularly if you have a family to take them, especially if they're undeserved, like your dad bought a house you know, force majeure, you know, act of God type stuff, right? There's no one did anything wrong that you had any control over. It wasn't like your dad was, you know, committed some sort of sin or whatever and the house got flooded, right? It's like something larger than that, you know, because we can, we, can, we can own the consequences of our own mistakes, but a, but a broken dam is <laughs> not something we can own responsibility for, right? And it's like, the d- lost his house with a, with a son, with two kids and a wife. And what did he do? You just said, he just picked up and went back to work. Like, I, I think that there's something, la- I, I don't know that that would happen the same way today with many men in a similar yeah, It's position. a lack of grit. It's just grit. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And do you ever talk about that memory with your dad? Like, you ever like going to like, hey, wasn't that crazy when, we, <laughs> when, the, when the dam broke? I mean, we actually talked about it not long
2: ago. And it's funny because my dad is the eternal optimist. Okay. And again, I don't know where he gets it because I love my grandfather. My grandfather turns eight, his dad, my grandfather turns 80 this Saturday. We're going to go celebrate. He became a Christian um, late in life as an adult. uh, My dad was a young kid when my grandfather became a Christian and he used to just be a raging drunk lunatic, smoking three packs a day, getting in bar fights and all that. And then he just became a Christian and stopped cold turkey, everything. And Mm -hmm. he's just, which is amazing. Right. But it's not like here, my grandmother had any kind of theological upbringing or whatever else. They just did their best with what they have. And so sometimes I look and wonder and go, where did my dad learn all these things? Because looking back, like I've got a degree in theology, and there are certain practices that I do in my family that I could write a paper on why I do them. And I look at my dad and I go, I don't know that he could ever necessarily spell out theologically why he did certain things. But somewhere along the way, from the example of his father or his own personal reading and prayer life. He just picked these things up because he thought they were important and executed them in our family. Like, I think my dad just knew how to go through hard things. And my dad made me constantly do hard things. We went to an amusement Mm. park one time. He made me always face my fears and I hated it. I remember went to an amusement park, uh, bush gardens in Virginia and, um, he was like, you're going to get on the Big Bad Wolf. Well, I had never been on a roller coaster that goes upside down before. It was mm. terrifying. He was like, you're going to be okay. I'll be right there with you. But you're going to get on and you're going to face your fears. I mean, I threw a fit in the park. I'm crying and screaming. And dad is like, we're not leaving until you get on this ride. He's like, I don't raise quitters. And, and I'm going to be right there with you. Do you trust me? Do you think I'm going to let anything happen to you? Do you think I would ask you to do this if it was going to cause you harm? Well, no, so eventually he drags me on there after much weeping and gnashing of teeth, and I go on the ride, and it was funny because I'm like, "Can we do that again?" That was awesome. <laughs> right? right. Um, I remember being seven years old and being forced to sing in kind of a, um, a talent show thing at our, at our church, Christian school sort of deal. And again, I didn't want to do it. I was embarrassed to get up there in front of everybody. I just can't do it. And, uh, and he made me through tears and whatever else. And I did it. And I can look back at so many things in life that dad made me do. He would not take no for an answer. And I look back and I'm not resentful. I'm like, yes, thank you. Because there's still a lot of things in life that scare the crap out of me. But I've just kind of almost embraced that feeling of whatever, it's going to be fine. Like once I get in the water, it'll warm up. We're good. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I don't, but here's the thing. I don't know where he got that. I really don't.
0: What are, what's an example of one of the practices that you do with your family that you could, that you could write a paper on just because I think this contrast is really important because I think there are some people that take a very reasoned, rational approach to faith and grow in faith over time through like studying what's true and studying the word and growing in that way. And I think that's completely valid. And there are some people that just kind of seem to get it, that have a, that have a sanctification around them that just like it's intuitive. And I don't think there's better or worse. I think it's just the two different kinds of people of faith so what's an example that that you yeah, would perfect, write a paper on yeah perfect example i'm
2: pretty passionate about the fact that i think children belong in corporate worship with their parents okay. I, I i just and i know people will disagree so that that's fine um what? certainly not a <laughs> certainly not a first tier issue but i i believe that um parents should be with their uh children in corporate worship they should be hearing the preaching of the word receiving the sacraments together as a family unit so i'm i'm totally fine with a sunday school class for children during the sunday school hour and separate youth groups I'm totally good with that what i'm not good with is things like children's church where the kids are shuffled out of the auditorium while the adults hear because we don't want to hear any noisy babies and we don't want kids squirming we want to go we want to go entertain them with a bible story for a little while while the pastor preaches and we had children's church at our church growing up and it was just the one aspect where my dad was like, no, I never went to children's church ever. That as soon as I turned like 10, I had to sit by dad and take notes at every service. And then mm-hmm. on the way home, he would kind of grill me on what the pastor spoke about. Mm. And it's like, I don't know where he got that idea. I don't know why. Um he just thought that it was wise that we needed to be in corporate worship. You can participate in all the other youth group activities, children's Sunday school, whatever else, but for corporate worship. You're going to be, we do that as a family and that's a family aspect and you're going to take notes and you're going to pay attention and then I'm going to kind of quiz you on that
0: to make sure that you're paying attention. And so that's just something that's like, I don't, he just he just did that. So did you find that, do you think that maybe that inspired your later interest in going to seminary and, and I guess it would have to becoming, you said you preached your first sermon at age 11 in a nursing home. Like that's, that's kind of awesome.
2: Yeah, I, I did. I think there was like, there was like thirty people there, and like two were awake. So <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, a, it's a it's a it's a no stress kind of crowd. Uh, no stress environment as well.
2: Um, yeah, and again, looking back, it's hard to be. I don't want to be too introspective, but again, I know full well I wanted to go be in ministry because I I came up in an independent fundamental Baptist world. Whether you know, okay, it, it might not have been explicitly stated, but the implication was that if you really love God. You're going to go into full-time Christian ministry. And which I think is definitely a big fault of that. Yeah. In the, in anything else. So sure, you can still be a Christian, you can glorify God, but that's second tier. If you really want to serve God. Yeah. You're going to be in full-time Christian ministry. And, and like I said, mm-hmm. I was already moving in that legalistic sort of, I saw all my friends getting in trouble for doing stupid stuff. Hey, if I stand out, get good grades, I'm a leader here, here, and here, and do these good things. I get the approval of my parents, you know, my grandfather, who again, I lived with my grandfather. He was the single biggest influence in my life outside of my my dad. Um, if I get approval from them, that, that mattered to me. And so I think that's what drove my decision to go to a Christian mm, college. Sounds and,
0: like overachiever thinking, which I've never somebody. I've never had an overachiever thought in my life. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's, 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 let's <laughs> yes. talk about this yes. for just a second, because this is something that I've picked up in other realms where, uh, where there seems to be this high status thing associated with pastors. And it's like not every man is actually called or capable of being a pastor. That seems very strange to me because I, I think men who have a calling to be a pastor are men with a certain emotional and spiritual configuration to actually be able to do that, to actually be able to shepherd people. I don't know that it's any more than one in 50 or one in a hundred men. There are certainly a lot of them, and I have a lot of those men around me, but I don't observe they're common in the world. But I also see there's been this push in many churches like, no, you, you as a man, in order to glorify God, you, you should be a pastor. It's like, no, you can glorify God as an entrepreneur. You can glorify God as a tradesman. You can glorify God in all these different ways. There are lots of different careers as past other than pastors. Why are those not? Why do those not count? I don't understand. I'm new to this. Yeah.
2: We, well, I mean, Paul explicitly says not many of you should desire to be teachers. Mm -hmm. You're going to undergo a stricter judgment. Like, let's just be real. Um, We used to have a Protestant theology of vocation. That used to exist, and the Puritans spoke about it all the time, Uh, and somewhere, I don't Somebody that's more astute in church history might be able to explain the origins of when this came to be, when we started to elevate this role of of pastor as kind of the ultimate, um, I don't know, but I know that growing up, the path laid out was go to Bible college, get married. <laughs> uh, and hey, I like this because that, that's why my wife went to Bible college. Sure. She went uh-huh. there to get her MRS degree and that worked out for me, right? Um, <laughs> so... So we go to Bible college, and then we, you're supposed to become a youth pastor, and then you become the assistant pastor. Seminary is somewhere in there, and then once you, then you become the senior pastor. Then, if God really mm. blesses later in life, seminary president, <laughs> right? And so this is kind of the path laid out. And so in my head, I I always had my life was supposed to take was, was going to go to Northland, got a degree in theology, minor in Greek, and then <clears throat> went to Southern Seminary. The plan was to graduate from there, get a PhD. I wanted to do um, something with linguistics. I loved, I just, I love the original languages, although I did discover that I am trash at Hebrew. I love Greek, but I am an absolute dumpster fire when it comes to Hebrew (laughs) and I hate it. So, uh, the guy who is the best man in my wedding, uh, his name is Mark. And he is currently pursuing his PhD in Hebrew. Yeah. Anytime I have an Old Testament question, I just hey Mark, I just I, I shuttle it off to him. And um, so so that was the path that I kind of had lined out for myself. But when we got to Kentucky, um, I was involved in a church plant, and I was leading worship. And it was really funny how I was leading worship was because it's a church plant. There's maybe fifty or sixty people. The one elder who played guitar decided he's leaving to go plant a church in Colorado, and I was the only person who played guitar. So he's like, hey. You're leading now. And it was a great, like, thrust you into this position. Okay, cool. So I'm 22 years old, and I led worship there for a decade. Um, and But while we're at that church, my understanding, as I'm in seminary and I'm in church, my understanding of the church started to change. Also, there are church plans, so they can't pay me. So I have to make money from a secular vocation because I have a family. So I'm working at Starbucks uh, while going You're to working like retail, they had full Starbucks. benefits for part time
0: employees. You were uh, supporting a family working retail at Starbucks. Yes, absolutely. So, oh, okay, uh, well, okay, okay. I was,
2: but my wife was also working at the hospital. She was uh, working in the lab at the hospital, and I moved mm-hmm. up very quickly. So, I was a store manager almost my entire tenure. And I, be- I remember feeling guilty because I wasn't getting my salary. From full time ministry, and I also felt incredibly guilty because, as my views of the church were shifting, I was also in the corporate world and realizing I actually like this and I 'm good at it. I was great at leading people, helping them develop their careers. I became a training store manager, so I always was the cut in the place that people landed to get trained, how to do their jobs and send them out to other stores and then I got recruited to Amazon and became a um, customer service operations manager for Amazon for several years and uh it was just I just loved being in that role, and um I felt guilty about that, like really guilty. I would say it was probably only in the last three to four years, maybe five years, where I finally felt like, hey, you don't need to feel guilty about not being
0: in full time okay. pastoral ministry to provide for your I family. I mean, that's that's the that seems to be the way that most people just kind of accept. No, and and actually, I, I was having a conversation about this the other day. Like it used to be that pastors they had careers. Paul made tents. Paul was a tent maker, right? That, that it wasn't like you you made money from your preaching. You supported yourself through other means, and the preaching was what you did just to advance the word. And now there seems to be in this shift where pastor becomes a vocation or a job or a career, and that. It doesn't just seem to be, that is a very precarious place to be because if your salary is dependent, if your livelihood is dependent on making sure that no one stops tithing because they don't like what you say, can you preach the whole counsel of God? I mean, that, and you know, witness 2020, right? It's like, well, I don't want (coughs) to touch on that because they might get kind of upset. So I'm just going to avoid these topics and keep my job. (laughs) I, I don't know that it's supposed to work that way. In fact, it's not supposed to work that way.
2: Right, I have a friend of mine who's uh, who went to college with me. Who's a pastor of a church in Maine. He and I were talking about this very thing. He's paid full time salary by them, but he picked up a hobby about four or five years ago. He really, Mm -hmm. maybe even a little bit longer now, really started getting into woodworking. And he did that for multiple reasons. One, it's a fun and it's good for men to have hobbies. But he realized that he's in rural Maine with blue collar dudes if he wants to be relatable at all to the men yeah. in his congregation, he should have a skill. Mm. Like he should know how to do something other than talk on Sunday morning. And so so he took up this hobby of of woodworking. That guy makes some incredible pieces of furniture now, all dovetailed, just beautiful work. Now after, you know, five years into, the thing, he's getting into beekeeping and all that, and they're selling the honey and doing this. And we're talking about this. He's like, one, I want to relate to my men in my community. And all of these guys are blue-collar tradesmen. They have skills. He's like, and then, two, I want to make sure that I have a skill if right. someday I'm not in ministry. I can still provide for my family. And I think that's that's wisdom. That's, you know, um, at Proverbs, I believe it's Proverbs 18. Is it 18.22? Uh, somewhere in there is when you see a man skilled in his labor, he will not stand before obscure men. He will stand before Kings. Uh, Look at the look at when the tabernacle was crafted. They had to go out and secure excellent craftsmen to do this ornate work.
0: Funny you should should mention that. Like I I have uh, my men's group, the council and I do daily Bible study in the group and, (laughs) uh, and we just read through that chapter of Exodus, which I believe is, I have it right here. Um, I think it's Exodus 31. I actually called that out. I said, um, yeah, I think it's Exodus 31. I'm just going to get my Bible right here. Yeah, the skilled craftsman, Exodus 31. <coughs> uh, I'll just read this quick passage. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, the son of the tribe of Judah, Verse three, I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carvings of wood that he may work all kinds of craftsmanship. And then he does the same for a man named, I think it's Ohio lab, right? Uh, and I've put in the hearts of all horse sk- and in the hearts of all horse skillful, I've put skill that they may, may make all that I have commanded you. Boom, right? That divine Yeah, exactly. That divine inspiration into the hands into the hands of craftsmen. Yes. And just as a quick aside, what I what I told the men listening in the group is also that if anyone challenges you that the words of scripture can or can't be divinely inspired, that they're written by men, well, there's Exodus thirty-one that talks about if if God can inspire the hands and the hearts of craftsmen in cutting stones, he can do the same with writers and writing words. So that was my argument. Yeah. So so that's this is the impor- So this is the importance of love of, it. of tradesmanship of craftsmanship. Like you don't just have to be a pastor. There are more valid careers than pastor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, hundred percent. We we need it.
2: We couldn't have all the men just be pastors. We need men to go out and build and do, and build God's kingdom, right? Uh, and we need them to do it excellently i love what martin luther says about you know if you own a christian business you don't have to put a cross on everything you know he's he says of the the cobbler who's making shoes a a good christian cobbler doesn't put little crosses on the back of all his shoes what he does is he makes excellent shoes
0: yeah you let that speak for itself you you can put a cross up in fact i talked to um, i talked to a couple women uh, who are starting a health food business a holistic health (laughs) business and i and i I did a call with them, and uh, they because the, that, that world of holistic health is so captured by the new age. And so they're dealing with people you know talking about energy and Gaia and divine feminine and all that stuff. and they're like, how do we navigate through this world because they know that I have that background. And I was kind of advising them, look, if you can use Christian principles to uh, to inform the, the the business itself, right? You don't have to talk about meditation or oneness or any of that stuff like that. But if you can talk about it from the perspective of, of actually caring for the body and, let, and let, let your faith inform your practices, you don't have to stamp a big cross on the cover of your brochure. You let the business speak for itself. And yeah, you can, maybe you can cite a scripture verse you know, in, um, in, in some of your materials, but you don't have to be super overt about it. And I like what you mentioned, the Puritan, the Puritan theology of work. As I recall, that's like work is worship. Like you worship God in your labor. Amen. Yeah. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we
2: do, do all to the glory of God, which is awesome because that means there's no such thing as a mundane task. It doesn't exist. You can mow the lawn to the glory of God or not, right? You can change your oil to the glory of God or not. Uh, what's your heart attitude behind it? What's your so? Yeah. It's uh. There's nothing mundane. Everything has. Everything has significance, and all of our actions echo into eternity, and that yeah. is well, yeah, that's profoundly why, terrifying. And we can never pull, off,
0: uh, pull it off the right way on our own. Is why we have a savior, right? So you also mentioned that you were um, amen uh, that you were working at Amazon and at Starbucks. So it's one thing, you know, to to work in the secular world. It's another thing to work in corporations, right? Especially those two. Maybe you, can, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe you can speak a little bit about that. Your journey is <laughs> yes. fascinating, by the way. Like, this, is, this is great. You've been off-roading.
2: <laughs> oh, boy.
0: <laughs> off-roading
2: is great. So yeah. I worked at Starbucks, arguably, in its height. And I had a blast. I, I was blessed with just some tremendous leaders, mm. some friends that I still talk to to this day, um, who taught me much about leadership. About running businesses, and this was all well before before wokeness was a thing. Oh, I was at Starbucks in two thousand eight. Oh, I left. Okay, Okay. I left it. Yeah, there's no way they would ever even keep me on staff now. One of my best friends, they wouldn't let you in the building, bro. (laughs) No, listen, listen. One of my best friends, Keith, who will probably listen to this uh, and laugh when he hears this. I have no idea how that dude still has a job there. He's been there for like almost twenty years. Okay. Um, I don't know how because he is the most unwoke person on planet Earth. I think honestly it's because he truly does exemplify what I long to be. What I talked about in the beginning, where he just he's bold and uncompromising, but I've never seen him lash out in anger at anybody. So I think okay. that's probably what saves him. Is he's very um, loving and kind and, and accepting to people. While also beating them in the face with truth. (laughs) Right. Praise God. So thanks, Keith. Amen. We need, yes. Yeah. No, he's awesome. So shout um, shout out, bro. Shout out to Keith killing it in Kentucky. Um, Yeah. So I left Starbucks. I got recruited to Amazon in 2016. Right. So this is, this is like a year after Obergefell, but things haven't really kicked off yet in terms of woke insanity cancel culture. But now that you bring that up. Uh, Amazon was woke. Amazon was hyper woke, and Seattle. as a result, I lost I lost my job. Okay, so mm. let me talk to you about that. So I got to Amazon, loved it. I was flying back and forth to Seattle all the time, um, which was a lot of fun. I was coming up in strong man. I had started my coaching business on the side, really enjoying it because, again, I love working with people. I was spending time in the corporate career, helping people to advance their careers, um, teaching people how to interview. Uh, all of these sorts of things, developing performance plans, all that stuff. Loved it. I thought, well, I love fitness and nutrition too. So I'm just gonna take these skills I already have with people and apply it to something I love. Mm-hmm. And so I had this business and it's growing and it's growing. And it's interesting, again, providential. It was reaching a tipping point right around 2018 where it was like, oh man, I could do this full time. But leaving Amazon was terrifying. It was a fantastic job with fantastic benefits. Um Just the thought of me being fully responsible for everything was like, whew, that was really terrifying. I wish that I could say that I had the courage to just pull the plug and be like, I left Amazon and just went full-time coaching. not what happened. What happened was I was promoted into another role. I was an operations manager on site. And we were required to participate in community service events. Mm -hmm. Well, the event that they wanted me to participate in in my estimation, was not community service. We were supposed to be at the Lexington Pride rally. Um, it's not community my pro- service. Here's the thing. That's right. <clears throat> um, I think maybe there might have been a 5K or something, and we're like handing out water. So there was that aspect of. I was like, "Listen, if you want me to go rake leaves at a lesbian's house, I'm down. I'll serve anybody. I don't care. Um, like, if I'm going to go help the trans kid paint a wall, like, sweet. Like, we'll get into a good conversation while we paint a wall." But this event is not about serving. This is about saying, hey, as as a corporation, we endorse what you're doing. And you're asking me to be the face of that. I cannot do that. I will not do that. Mm-hmm. So I did not do that. Well, that got shot right up the chain of command really fast because we had a lot of uh, of gays who worked for us um, mm-hmm. and who did not like me. And now, not doing that event. My boss was on my side, realized that I had the right to choose that. But unfortunately, the decision to terminate my employment came down from well above him. Now, he did me the biggest solid that he could have done. He was not supposed to do. And I found out later he got in a lot of trouble for. He eventually ended up leaving and going to be an operations manager. I think at Alibaba.com, one of Amazon's chief rivals. Anyways, super based, super based. What he did for me was he gave me six months full severance. Wow! So I got terminated on uh, I think it was Thanksgiving Day of 2018, and I basically said, "Hey, you have till June to take this coaching business from, you know, teetering here to this is your full time gig," and I haven't looked back since. And
0: I did. Oh, yeah. So uh, okay, okay. So, so let's talk about that. So talk about the talk about the coaching business and that whole side because it's it's like you're kind of navigating through all these worlds that are that run parallel to where a lot of people who grew up in the faith kind of are like you've got corporate America and now you have the fitness world and these are like kind of realms where it's like you're not supposed to go there. (laughs) We don't we don't go into those lands. Right. But but these but the all these things weave together to make you sort of who you are, right? And give you the and give you the depth and breadth of experience that 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 makes your voice what it is. Sure. So yeah, looking back, it's it's a, it's a wild ride how I got to where I am because
2: I look back and I go, there are so many things I want to change. Hindsight is 2020, mistakes I made. And at the same time, God can use those mistakes. I think it's interesting. I feel like if I would have made the right decisions ten years ago, I wouldn't even have this job. God knows what I'd be doing. Right. But um when I poured myself into strongman and I started getting good at it, uh, you know, I was I was obese in high school. I was obese in, in my freshman year of college. I made a decision. I looked at myself in the mirror, stepped on the scale. I was like 265 and just absolutely weak. I was fat and weak. I made a decision. I went to college in northern Wisconsin. I, I, I teased my wife about this because I, I lost all this weight my freshman year. We started dating my sophomore year. I just teased her. She didn't even notice me my freshman year. Yeah, I was a different human being sure. my sophomore You know, Fair enough. I went into yeah, the gym. Fat people are invisible. Yeah, I, I went into the gym and I said, Hey, I'm gonna run as many laps around this gym as I possibly can without six <laughs> around and I'm dying. I'm just sucking wind, man. It was awful. So I just said, All right, I'm gonna keep adding laps. I'm gonna keep adding laps every day. I would just add a lap every day, every day, every day, add a lap. And I'm not weightlifting at all at this point. I and and I said nutritionally, I knew nothing about nutrition. I just intuitively knew meat is good and vegetables are good. Now, I'm also traveling for the school in a recruiting fashion, singing in churches, doing youth rallies and all that kind of stuff. So on the weekends, we're in Baptist churches. And what do Baptist churches do with young people? Pour food on them. So I said to myself, here's what I'll do. Six days a week, only meat and vegetables. Mm. On Sunday, I'll totally eat one plate of whatever is served for me. So if they're giving me a plate full of lasagna and a bowl of ice cream, get after it. But the other days, this is what I did. I ended up losing 90 pounds in about six months. Wow. There's good and bad to that. Oh, yeah. I went from fatty who never ran to like running all the time. And I went a little too hard, too fast. I injured my hip. I mean, I I was limping. I just could not walk. I went to the doctor and he was like, just not run for a while. Well, naturally, I'm freaked out that I'm going to you know, get fat again. So so I was like, hey, come start lifting with me. And so that's how I got into weightlifting, my sophomore freshman year of college. And I fell in love with it. So after I got married, I found Strongman in Kentucky and started realizing, like, I was pretty good at this. And because I'd always been the chubby kid, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like, I can get big and strong very easily without even having to eat a ton of food. I'm 260 pounds right now, and I'm only eating about 3,600 calories, which is not absurd.
0: Right? You are a very large human. As I've observed this before. <laughs>
2: but, but, I uh, I have to work. Re- I suffer to, to lose fat. It's a double edged sword. So I realized like, I'm not built to be a 160 pound runner. Like, I'm just not built for that. I'm built to be big and strong. And I started when I started applying myself to weightlifting, I was just. And so I just I found strongman and I loved it. And there's nothing wrong with strongman. It was a great hobby, but I got addicted to it and I poured myself into it. And I, I got good, sure, but at the cost of my family, almost at the cost of my marriage, right? And so, yeah, on the side, I started coaching people because I loved the, the fitness piece. How I got into nutrition is its own story. My middle son has autism. He was diagnosed at two. And we went down every rabbit hole we could to figure out how do we help this boy. And uh, one of the things that we realized is, you know, I'm a steak and potatoes kind of dude, but we realized that inflammatory things uh, were not helpful to him. So there for a while, we became gluten-free, dairy-free, all the, all the trendy stuff, right? Crunchy granola people. To help him to reduce inflammation so that his speech therapy and occupational therapy would improve. Now, originally, my wife is just buying all separate food for him. That soon became so tedious trying to prepare meals for the rest of the family. So we just decided as a family, we're gluten-free. And so switching up my diet, but then also I'm eating tons more fruits and vegetables. As a family, we started to focus on nutrition because to this point, I'm a meathead. I will do it. I'll eat whatever if my deadlift will get bigger. And, And the only variable that changed in all of my training was my nutrition. I was eating quality whole foods. I wasn't eating junk anymore. We got rid of all the junk for that. Dude, I... My strength went to the next level. That was just getting crazy strong. And I just started to research kind of nutrition for performance. Because in the late 90s, 2000s, early 2000s, the assumption was if you're a powerlifter and want to build and, or a strong man and want to lift the most weight, you kind of have to be a fat slob. You got to just be huge. Weight moves weight. Thankfully, we started to have some guys come on the scene um, in the early 2000s. You have Marius Pujanowski, but then in the powerlifting world, you have guys like Dan Green who are winning these powerlifting and strongman competitions and they're shredded and they're just, and so, uh, so that's how I got into the nutrition space specifically started coaching people on the side, some of them for free just to kind of prove I could get results. And then I slowly started charging more and more. And The more I got results, the more. And so by the time I was at Amazon, I had a client roster of around 30 folks, largely just, uh, strength and nutrition. About half of them were lifestyle folks. And, um, And when I got let go of Amazon, uh, like I said, I had six months to make a go of it. And I was able to match my salary from Amazon with my coaching business in about three months. So I never looked back from that. And then that year, 2019, is when I turned pro and strongman. And naturally, achieving that pro status, I had inquiries flooding in from everywhere. And this is when my Instagram account was at its height. Uh, Again, I think. You know, me turning pro is a, a terrible reason to choose a coach because, you know, I could have not turned a pro by one point and still would have had the same level of knowledge, right? Uh, but just understanding how people think and the market, naturally I got this pro status. And so in the strongman world I was an up and coming star, I was somebody. And then in twenty twenty I won America's strongest man, um, uh, as a one oh five K athlete. And so that kind of boosted me again in the strongman world. And so I was one of the top 105Ks there for a couple of years. Uh, 105K is middleweight, by the way. Um, and so so that just kind of catapulted my my career. And then I've always been, I've been able to kind of grow from there. Um, so yeah, I'm thankful to be where I am. I You know, I, I work for myself. I work from home. It allows me a lot of freedom. We homeschool our kids. We can kind of just go and do whatever we want to do. Um, flexible to do things like this to hang out with friends um to help people in church at a random 10 o'clock on a tuesday if an old lady needs some leaves raked like i I love that uh so i'm thankful to be where i am but it's just interesting when i look back at some of the decisions i made early on it's like i i am here and god is using it not because of what i've done but in spite of it
0: Mm, yeah i know i definitely know that i know that i know that feeling that You know, I've made a number of bad decisions myself, but they've all, they've all at this moment allowed me, for example, and I talk openly about this, like all my time in the new age, doing all those pagan kind of practices was a terrible idea. And now I'm able to speak into that world and tell people in that world, here's why it's a terrible idea, right? As all things work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And, seeing, Amen. and Amen. seeing that in my life has been one of the greatest blessings and miracles that I can imagine.
2: And I think it's good too, because it always keeps me humble. I, I try not to feel, because sometimes I can go the other way and, and get weighed down with shame. And We can't be living in the shame of our past, um, you know, but I do, it does keep me humble in the sense that when I look around and look at how God has blessed me in spite of myself, and when I look in the mirror, I know the truth. I'm only here because of God's grace. Like, I made some really terrible decisions, <laughs> right? Like, I'm not where I am because I deserve any of this. In fact, it almost cost me my marriage.
0: Yeah, yeah. And thank you for being open about that, you know? like Because I think in this kind of masculinity space, there, there's a real vested interest in kind of, in a lot of men presenting themselves as men who they aren't right it's like it's like i'm an archetype or a a, char- a character or caricature of some idea and i think that phase which was exemplified in the manosphere is ending and and there's a real a real drive for um, i don't like the term authenticity because it's overused but there's a real drive for just sincerity and reality like we're going to strip away the marvel comic book character versions of masculinity and look at real guys who have fought through real hard times and even given, even dealt themselves major L's and turned them and, and and had God help turn them around. And I think that's really, really important because I think there are so many young guys who who are, like you just said, maybe they're crippled with their own shame of bad decisions. And they know that within themselves, they don't have the ability to posture as more than they are. They try, but it'll catch up to them. But allowing yourself to be redeemed in Christ is the way forward. There is no other way forward because none of us live perfect lives right. as men. And so I, what, I, what I love about what you just said is like, yeah, you screwed up. I screwed up. There's, you know, But nonetheless, here we are. And it's not through anything that I did to deserve it, as you just said, like this is God's grace why I'm here. And that's a far more powerful place to stand than pretending that I am the master of my faith and I am the captain of my soul.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. I wish.
0: Not quite, son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's reality, right? Because, because at the same time, though, you still have earned the things that you've done. Like, you've sure. earned your physique. You've, you put in the weight. You lifted the heavy things. You built the business. And, and actually, that's something that I wanted to get into <clears> because uh, there are a lot of guys that are thinking about taking the path of entrepreneurship. And it tends to be an either-or conversation. Like, I work my full-time job or I'm doing this coaching or business. But you actually exemplify that, no, I built up the coaching business with enough runway to be able to jump rather than having to throw it all in with the business from, from the get-go. Right. Absolutely.
2: No, I, I had been building it since 2014. So mm. at least four years wow. of slow and steady. Now, I don't think that when I started out, I ever intended it to be full-time. It was, this. I'm, I'm making a little extra income for our family. And to be perfectly honest, selfishly, I knew I could do it. I knew I was good at it because because coaching, here's the thing about coaching, as you know, um, or at least with strength and nutrition, yes, you need to have the hard skills. You need to know what you're doing, how to program, how to write a nutrition plan, all of those things you get. You have to understand all of that, uh, but it's how you relate to people. It's how you build trust. Like if I write the best yeah. plan for somebody and and they don't trust me, they're not bought in and they give me 50% effort, well, they're going to get 50% results. If I have a crappy plan, but this dude has got buy-in and he's working really hard, he's going to get great results. So now my aim is to do the absolute best to provide the best service I can and build that trusted buy-in so just we get excellent results, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't think I ever started with the intention of going full-time. I just thought, hey, I'm good at this. I like it, let's make some extra side income because you know, when you're not a pro and strong man, you're paying for everything. So it costs money to travel to all these competitions and everything else. So I was making side income to fund my hobby. Mm-hmm. And it started to grow and started to grow and started to grow. I think there is some wisdom in that though. I mean, a lot of times what turns into somebody's business and passion starts out first as a hobby. I think a lot of guys want to skip that grinding uh, time those those years where you're learning this skill that you then can go and market later on. But I had been doing this for years before I went full time. And let's just be perfectly honest: I don't know that if I ever would have jumped out on my own, I was kicked out. Amazon fired me. Right? I was. It was. I was making good money on the side, but I, I wish I could say I had the courage to just quit Amazon but I was let go. So I had no other options. I had to take care of my family. So I was forced into it. But the reality is, yes, I was building that up for years before I just launched into it full-time.
0: Well, do you think that without the knowledge that you were bringing in that level of income, you would have taken the risks to stand up for what you believe in? I mean, probably, but at the same time, you're faced with this decision to go serve water at this marathon and they're like, And you're like, I'm not going to do this. But somewhere in the back of your mind, did it even play a role? Knowing, like, well, I'm bringing in some money on the side, so at least, you know, there's I can put food on the table. I can put food on my family, as they say. Honestly, no, because I'm I'm stubborn to a fault, both good and bad.
2: Um, (laughs) I can relate to that. In my head, I was like, I'm not doing this. Yeah, like I'm not doing this. You can't make me. So, (laughs) right, I would have I would have said no anyways. So there wasn't it wasn't necessarily that. Um, but it sure was an impetus to put the gas on, you know, put the foot on the pedal and, and hit it. Let's go. Um, because I got to take care of my family.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in this, in this coaching business that you've, you had a lot of success with, cause I followed your account and see some of the, some of the people you've coached to, um, to, to great levels of success. Many look, it looks, I don't know the, tell the difference between amateur or professional, but they're competing. It looks like to me. Yeah, so um, so yeah. talk a little bit about coaching coaching on that level because it's one thing to coach people, you know, just to kind of get themselves into a position of being in in what we would call good shape today. It's another taking people into into competing. So talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so um, I I would still say so I always carry between 80 and 100 clients at a time and I would say that 60, 55 to 60 our lifestyle, you never see them on Instagram, right? Uh, These guys, they're just the dad that wants to be more fit for his family, Um, you know, what you tend to see on Instagram is I just share what people tag me in, usually. Um, Or dramatic transformations after several months or years even of working with people. Um, So most of what I do is just average Joe's. Okay, guy went to the doctor, he has high blood pressure, and he's 50 pounds overweight and wants to be here for his grandkids. Like, that's the people that I work with mainly. Um, And it is tough because you mentioned the word caricature uh, earlier. And I know, like, I preach masculinity. I preach men being fit. And I'm always trying to be careful, like, you don't need to be 260 and have abs as a man. Like, you need to be physically capable, okay? Can you run a mile without having cardiac arrest, okay? Can you bang out, like, 50 push-ups? Could you... run and sprint and grab your daughter out of the road as a car moves by. Like men just need to be capable. They don't need to be an Adonis. Thank you. Right? They don't need to be an Adonis. And so I struggle with that sometimes because I know what I look like. And I'm going, hey guys, I just like I happen to be into bodybuilding because I like it. But you don't, this isn't masculinity. This is a hobby that I have. Masculinity and fitness for a man, bro, you can have a little beer belly and that's a sign that, you know, you're enjoying God's good gift and your wife cooks well. Can, can you jog? Can you run? Can you handle your body weight? Do you have some kind of martial virtue? I do think it's important that a man have some kind of presence about him and that he has a skill that, you know, if he doesn't know how to fight, he should carry a gun and he should practice with it. And, you know, we're supposed to protect and provide for our families. Well, we do not need men out there thinking that they've achieved some status of godliness or peak masculinity because they have abs. That's that's absurd. And so I have to fight that because I know what I look like. and I know. A, I know what all my competitors look like. And so they look like this stereotype of, well, this is peak fitness. It's like, well, not really. Because actually, when you get in a bodybuilding stage, it's pretty unhealthy. I mean, for a man, you're at three to 4% body fat. You can't sustain that. Um, you know, it, it's, you want to talk about the the health risks potentially when females step on stage, losing their periods and things like that. That's not sustainable. You can't live there. And how I actually got into competing or rather coaching. Um, bodybuilders was I had a lot of in the strongman world a lot of people and bodybuilding but in the strongman world a lot of people abused drugs badly talking steroids okay and so I would have a lot of women come to me um, because when I started coming up in the strength world doing nutrition that was not a thing bodybuilding yes but in the strength world no cared like if you said, hey, if you drink a half gallon of sewage you're going to add 50 pounds to your deadlift everyone would be lining up like no one cared. And so I was kind of a lone voice. And so there was kind of an open market for it. And people started coming to me from everywhere of like, Hey, you know, I, I, woman, women would come to me and be like, I haven't had a period in two years. And, um, here's all the drugs I've taken. And can you help me? And, um, because men are, I don't say this, any of you young men that are listening, don't be stupid. But the simple fact is a man can blast a ton of steroids and come back pretty much right away. Like the idea that it's going to suppress you forever, um, that it's going to cause, it, it's just not true. Um, men are very hormonally resilient. Now, it can cause a ton of downstream health impacts that are terrible. So don't hear what I'm not saying. The point is, when women abuse steroids, the consequences are so much more drastic and many times unalterable. So i get a lot of women who just wanted basic health back. And so i coaching people over here towards health and fitness and strength. And then a bunch of women, all I'm doing is their nutrition and uh, getting their blood work and getting them to come back, come back to a normal cycle and be healthy again. Um, and then I just had a friend reach out. I was like, hey, would you coach me for this? She was a, she was a former um, MMA fighter and uh, black belt jujitsu, had done strong women. I'd been coaching her for years in strong women. And she tore the labrum in her shoulder. And she's just one of these ladies who um, she has to have a goal to pursue. She doesn't have a goal. She feels lost. So she says, i going to do this figure competition. Would you coach me? I was like, that is not my world. No. And I was like, I can give you some names of coaches I know in the industry would happily do that. And she pressured me, pressured me, pressured me, because we've been together so long as coach client. And she was like, well, I know you could. You know how to do it. And she goes, and I trust you to keep me safe. I feel like these other coaches are just going to have me take a boatload of drugs and whatever else. And I was like, okay, but just no, I've never done this before. And um, so I'm willing to learn. And yeah, I think I could, but I've never done it. And at that point, I hadn't competed in bodybuilding yet. And so it felt weird to coach something, I should, even though I, knew I could. So I took her on and um, she did great. And she has lupus too, which is another complication because she could get lupus flare-ups and get inflammation and swell up 20 pounds in a week. It was pretty complex, but I was able to get her healthy. Stay healthy, and her very first show, she got second place, and she was like peeled at like eight percent body fat. Never lost her period. Get right back into a healthy cycle, and so again, I'm not trying to sound uh, cocky. and was like, oh, okay, I can do this. I'm good at this, um, and so I started taking a few more on. I don't coach a ton of bodybuilders. Um, I still have way more strength athletes, and I still have way more just general health. I've got about, um, I mean, I do coach a lot of bodybuilders, but I guess when you look at the ratios, it's still weighted more towards general. That makes sense. So, I mean, I have a decent roster of bodybuilders, but it's not absurd. It's not my main clientele. Um, So I just started taking on more because my tagline on my website is leading through health. I genuinely believe that if you are healthier at the cellular level, you're going to both look and perform better. No matter what that is, no matter what you're trying to do. And the bodybuilding industry specifically is rife with terrible coaches that are just putting people on absurd amounts of drugs and starving them into stage leanness. And, and then the health consequences after that are just absurd. Like, you don't, drugs can mask terrible coaching. If you can't get somebody shredded uh, without drugs you 're not a good coach Period. Um, and so that was kind of what drove me into that space a little bit a lot of times a lot of times I do things because I get irritated at something being done poorly, so I think I want to go fix that and do it better uh, and so that kind of that's kind of what drove me into that space is just kind of seeing the ridiculousness happening and going, I could actually help these people not die while they do this. So let's do it. And so I've been, I've been in that space. Uh, I've, I've coached bodybuilders now for the last three years. I've competed. I'm going to compete again, but I don't have a hard date, probably sometime mm-hmm. next year.
0: Single men and women listening to this, you probably recognize it's a bit rough out there. I don't do Bumble or Tinder, but from what I've heard, they're wastelands. I was also on Hinge recently and as cleaned up as it is, It's basically secularism turned up to six figures. Many churches don't seem aware of a need to make sure young men and women make families, and don't get me started on that. And depending on the generation of your parents, they might be expecting you to party and work for a while longer, not to start a family and build a productive household. In other words, many of us have been abandoned, left to fend for ourselves in an era of declining values, morals, and standards. I could do a number of podcasts on this issue alone, but nothing that I could say would make the situation better. One way or another, we have to play the ball where it lies. In other words, we have to do. And thankfully, there's a website that's doing just that. I'd like to recommend to all my listeners, both single men and women, The Courtship Network. The Courtship Network is not a hookup site or at all geared for casual dating. It's targeted towards men and women looking to find a life partner, and who are ready to engage in the elegant dance that we call courting. Courtship is a process where we evaluate whether a man or woman is right for us, whether they share our values, our vision for life, our faith, and are going our way before we make a meaningful decision or even covenant to spend our lives with them. This is a different way of thinking about partnership versus how the world does things, which is more like ready, fire, aim, Instead, courtship is a thoughtful approach to romantic due diligence and setting ourselves up for success. I've been on The Courtship Network since it launched, and I'm very impressed with the quality of conversation, plus the dignity, poise, and sincerity of the users. That's a testament to the effort and attention to detail the team put in, and it's paying off big time, which is why I'm thrilled to be able to recommend it to you. Go to thecourtshipnetwork.com and sign up to be a part of it. Meet women and men around the U.S. and the world in different age ranges and, I should point out, different faith backgrounds, but all of whom are serious about finding the right person for them. Plus, there's an added bonus for men in my men's group, The Council. Sign up for the link in that group and let women know that you're with me. And guys, I should let you know right now the site is female heavy, so the odds are massively in your favor. Again, go to thecourtshipnetwork.com slash rentofmen to sign up now. Join me in kissing dating goodbye and discovering the virtues of courtship. So let's, okay, so let's, let's plug this in. Let's plug a couple pieces in together because this is a giant subject that's up within the Christian faith, within Christian men. It's about Christian men and fitness and women too. Uh, that um, it seems like Whenever you bring up this topic, you know Christian men and women need to get in shape. The first comment that happens is, "Well, like, what about vanity, bro? Like, it just drive like Let's just drive straight into that ditch, and so we're not even get (laughs) going to get on the road, right? And so, and so you have you have a seminary degree, right? You have this whole background in the faith. You preached oh well. Let me clarify. I have a
2: theology degree. I went, I did go to, I actually stopped when I,
0: um, when
2: we had our daughter. So no, I just wanted to clarify that.
0: So, so you have this, so you have this background, scripturally sound, right? And, and even to the point where you stood up for your principles and got fired from a pretty major corporation and God blessed you and, and all of that. So, so it's like you, you, you've, you have the, you have the background and you stood up when it counted as many Christians did not do, right? And so, and so I think that there's enough credibility to say, like, this is a true man of the faith. And I think anyone listening can hear that in your words as well. And you're in great shape, right? Now, there are so many Christians that would say, that, that would think, now they don't have, again, they don't have to get to your state. They don't have to get into the bodybuilding stage. They don't have to compete in strongman. That's not what we're talking about. Like, that's a whole separate, it's your hobby, like you said, and I really appreciate that you said that. But there are people that will be completely resistant to any notion of needing to get in shape because they think that it's not godly in some way. Now, I couldn't disagree in stronger terms, right? But sure. you and I cut very different very different figures. So I wonder if you can speak to that, because um, I think it's a conversation that, that needs to be had. It will be had one way or another. My so fa- let's, yeah, go.
2: Right. My favorite is when people appeal to, well... Um, Physical fitness is of some value, but godliness is of greater value. Oh uh, no! Right, so they'll use that, and I'll say, I'll say, but you understand that he didn't say it's of no value. He, yes, godliness is greater by all means, because I know some really jacked people who are terrible and lost and God haters. Yeah. So, so, so no, like godliness first and always. yes and amen. But. <laughs> Physical discipline is absolutely of value. And Paul recognized this. Look at uh, the various illustrations he uses of a soldier, of a marathon runner, of a farmer. Th- these are all tasks that require a hard man, that require grit, that require physical discipline. And again, none of these tasks require you to be an Adonis. You don't need to have abs to be a good farmer. Or a, uh, but but you, you can't be out of shape and be a good soldier okay yeah. um you can't fulfill your duties as a man here's the thing being fit is not going to make you a better man but it will make you better at being a man doing the things that you're called to do right so i'm supposed to protect and provide for my family i will do that better if i am a fit person so yeah so i don't buy the whole um you know, it's worthless kind of thing. I mean, when was captive, David tops appeals will Go, he got three hundred of his men in his house. It says who were trained, and they went and got it back. So that just assumes some martial virtue. I can't buy the whole uh, the the argument. Now, the vanity piece. Let's talk about that uh, because I know some people would say yes and amen to everything I just said, but then like, well, you know, bodybuilding is is vain, or you know. Um, and I'll be honest, you and I have had this conversation a little bit before. I struggle with it in some ways. I don't struggle with it on the male side because I think the glory of a young man is a strength. I think men are made to compete. I mean, what little boy doesn't like to come up and flex beside his dad and wrestle on the floor and get into physical confrontations and, and play rough sports? I think I think that's good. Um, how females fit into that, other discussion, I hadn't thought about or put any thought behind it all until the last year. And I'm still working through those things myself, to be perfectly honest with you.
0: well, I mean, I think um, it's I think that there's a there's a component of it where it's like if you begin becoming obsessed with your appearance for the sake of your appearance's sake and it's not functional and it's just display oriented, and maybe maybe you're not even like competing with it. Like I can understand someone getting into a competition where it's necessary. To look your best. And and I I guess I can I can understand that, but I think there's something to be said for, you know, I look, I want to look as incredible as possible, merely for the sake of looking as incredible as possible, and even to the point of sacrificing functionality. Like I wrote about this on Instagram. I wrote about um a a, a series of posts called Obesity, Christianity and Relationships. It's actually pinned, the first one is pinned at the top of my profile. And I talked about how uh, something that you just said, which is that being out of shape means, like, we, what should happen is you should be able to say to somebody, hey, uh, you're being gluttonous or you're being slothful. Like, those those should land, right? That, that criticism, that, that should land. But for some reason, it doesn't land with people. And so I took a different tack, what, like what you just said, and said, look, if you're out of shape and you don't, you're not capable, you are not actually capable of being the father or mother husband or wife or future father mother husband or wife that God has called you to be right you're, you're you're in sin you're in the sense that you're not living up to you're not capable of living up to what God commands you to be and i feel pretty comfortable landing in that but i like what you said you don't have to be an adonis you don't have to look like that right that's not what it requires in fact that's never what it required in history but i'll tell you what you should be able to you should be able to sprint 100 yards You should be able to lift up, you know, you don't have to lift a car, but you should be able to lift something in case of an an emergency. You should be able to carry, in case the floodwaters are rising, you should be able to carry a lot of stuff out of your house, right? And I think, and you should be able to defend your family with more than just a firearm. Because as anyone who has any firearms proficiency knows, there are some circumstances where using a firearm will land you in jail for a very long time right so you have to be able to use your fists you have to be able to use your body to subdue an attacker where you can't use a firearm and and for whatever reason a lot of people found these ideas really agreeable and some people got really bent out of shape over it which i don't really care cuz it's the year of hurt feelings yeah <laughs> i love it the year of hurt feelings it's fantastic uh no i completely agree that that
2: word functional uh, it kind of triggers me sometimes, and um, and I know how you meant to use it. But it's funny sure. because in, pe- people, yeah, it triggers yeah, yeah. me in the world of functional fitness because people will claim that, well, this is functional fitness, and that's not functional. I'm like, well, functional is relative to the task being performed, right? So bicycles, why you Like Nobody cares if you're doing bicycle as a crossfitter, okay? Uh, but it's pretty functional if you're trying to be a bodybuilder, right? Um, also, you have different body types and stuff as well, so you know, not every guy is built to be mm. the big hoss, and if you're in a fight, you want you want some big old hosses to bounce some people if you need it. But <laughs> if I'm trying to be a Navy seal, well, my two hundred and sixty pounds is an extreme liability,
0: yeah,
2: <laughs> right? We want to be light and fast, and so uh, I totally one hundred percent agree with with what you're saying. Yeah. I guess one of the things that I would say to men is look at yourself in the mirror and see how you're built. What are you built to be like? Lean into your strengths. If you're a big dude and you're six foot three and 250 pounds, 260 pounds, for big old horse, it's going to take some people out. If you're a slight of built dude and you're five nine and a buck 60, take some jujitsu and get really good cardio. We need people like you too. One is not better than the other, you're different. So lean into the strengths that God has given you. Just be capable.
0: Mm-hmm. I appreciate that you said that because um it's not there seems to be this need or drive to force everyone into this very narrow vision of what it means to be a man. You know, you have to be six foot six and jacked. Well, I'm five foot six. Too bad, not a man. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. It's like right. and, and I always go back to the Lord of the Rings as the example. Like, look at the fellowship of the ring. That was a whole lot of different dudes, different good at a whole lot of different things, and they all made it happen together. And just because the hobbits don't look like Aragorn or Legolas or Gimli, or they don't look like each other, it doesn't mean you're less of a man. And none of those guys looked at each other and said, I don't think you're a man because you're short. I hate that. I hate that. And it's, I, I guess it just right. plays on men's insecurities. It uses It's bullying. It's shaming. And I don't think, uh, yeah, the secular world can do that. I just I don't want to see it in the in the Christian world because I don't think that's that's the spirit of why God made us the way that he did. I don't I think he made Absolutely. different ki- we got we need different kinds of men so God made different kinds of men hallelujah and don't feel like because that's right you can't look like another man that you're not that you're less of a man. Go ahead. Go ahead with that rant on that please. No, no, that's fantastic. I mean I think we we said everything we need to say
2: there but it it it's worth repeating because and again, I struggle because I know the caricature of me that people see. I struggle. You know, my favorite clients to coach are little old ladies having fun. I'm on social media where little old ladies aren't. Hmm. But if a little old lady mm-hmm. has a problem, and maybe she just wants to be independent and be able to not throw her back out when she re, when she takes the eight pound gallon of milk and rotates and puts it in her shopping cart, right? Um, I've worked with a lot of older folks. I love working with them. They are so fun. But the problem is. Your typical elderly person, when they're looking for a coach or a trainer, and they see me on Instagram lifting a 450-pound stone over his head and tattooed up and whatever else, they're not picking that guy, right? Because the image says something. So it's something that I always have to kind of work against. Um, But I do intend to... This is something I was telling my wife. I want to start speaking about more on my social media platforms in terms of what does it mean to be a man uh, that you don't need to look like what I do. I think you should be fit, but again, I, I just like bodybuilding, right? You don't have to do jujitsu. jitsu I think you should learn to fight. Get into boxing. Does your son wrestle? Go wrestle with it. You know? There's a lot of ways that you can cultivate these martial virtues and be fit. Um, my brother-in-law loves to run. I, I, get after it, get fit, get kicked, like, great, do that. I think everybody should invo- you know, do some kind of cardio, do some kind of resistance training just for general health. But yeah, you don't. abs are not the sign of masculinity or peak male performance, whatever the case might be. If you want them and you and you just like a a heart goal to change, go for it. By all means, push yourself. but absurd to think that a physique equals masculinity. It certainly doesn't.
0: I super appreciate that distinction, especially because on social media, which we started out the conversation talking about it, guys tend to gravitate towards the things that they can measure with their eyes, which is money and physique. And, and they very naturally make the mistake. And I, I, ha- I hammer on this all the time. They very naturally make the mistake that because a guy is in shape and he has money, that he's somehow virtuous. And if, the, if social media is good for one thing, especially lately, is, is demonstrating, that's not necessarily true. And at the same time, we can't throw out the things that we measure with our eyes because they do matter, but it's putting them in the proper place and understanding that they are signs of masculinity, but they're not masculinity itself. Because you can be very wealthy and be very fit and be a terrible person. Correct. You can be a terrible husband and a terrible father and an absolute terror to your employees, right? However, on the other side, if you're overweight, if, you're, if you treat everyone very well and you're very kind to everybody, but you're, you're not capable of doing basic life-saving things, let's say, Correct. then there's something missing. And the trick is finding the balance Amen. between those two Amen. poles. And
2: every man can always be bettering himself. I think we all know, we, we know when we look in the mirror, we can, we, we can do a self-assessment and go, I'm capable or not, right? I mean, I'm doing a self-assessment and start to my a little bit heavy. And so it's like um, I'm like, man, I need to run a little bit more to get my cardiovascular endurance up a little bit higher, so that I can I can sustain this. I got to be able to move this frame around. Mm-hmm. I can't just waddle everywhere.
0: <laughs> right, right, yeah. I mean, I'm in I'm in an unfortunate or fortunate position that like I get immediate feedback from what my fitness is at every day when I do a podcast because I look got to look at my own face in a camera all the time. It's like, well, okay, I got to better fix that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Well, so, um, so, uh, if you don't, you have time for just a couple more questions. Sure. Absolutely. Go for it. Okay, cool. So, um, so let's say, let's say it's really easy to talk about the overweight guys, but there are a lot of skinny guys, right. Who maybe they've never done strength training. Maybe they didn't have a father who was there with them and they don't really know where to begin to begin. You know, they're not trying to lose first. They're just trying to figure out what it means to be strong in the first place. It's it's it, losing weight is a very popular thing in our culture because I think almost everyone can stand to do it. But there are still those guys that have never lifted anyone anything heavy before in their lives or wouldn't even know where to begin. And I think they as a as a subject of dialogue get overlooked in the in the rush to um, in the rush to the, to offer very legitimate criticism to people who overindulge. Well, there are men who who have never perhaps they've never indulged right. What, what, what advice would you have for those guys to begin building them up and encourage them in the direction of cultivating their strength? Sure.
2: Well, just start. Just start. And and there, first off, there's a ton of free stuff mm. out there. I mean, you could go to something like starting strength or um, strong lifts, five by five. Okay, so you don't need to think anymore. If you get a gym membership and go in there, but you don't even need to start with a gym membership. Uh, just start banging out some push-ups, some pull-ups some bodyweight squats, some lunges, like master your body first. Uh, my son right now, he's seven. He's obsessed with going to the gym with me. And I have weights out in the garage and he's wanting to lift and all this. And that's fine, but I'm encouraging him right now to just mas- just play a lot and master his bodyweight. So um, he does jujitsu. And, uh, but I've created a little workout for him. So he goes out there and he does a bunch of bodyweight squats and he does a bunch of pushups. And he does a bunch of lunges. He does a bunch of bear crawls and things like this. Um, and that's just building up bodily awareness. And then the other thing is a lot of those guys that are really skinny, um, got to track what you eat, man. And that can be overwhelming at first, but it's not just protein, just track your protein and, It's MyFitnessPal or something like that. That's super easy. Just plug it in and aim for a gram per pound of body weight. That's the easiest place to start. And what you'll find is most people in this country, both underweight and overweight, nobody is getting enough protein. The RDA on protein is absurd. I mean, it's enough maybe to keep you from not dying, uh, but it's nowhere near what you actually need to thrive. And so, I say to people to aim at a gram per pound of body weight daily. That's the easiest metric. You could be a little under that. You could certainly be over that, and there's going to be no problems. Um, but the reason I think that nobody got protein is because protein is largely inconvenient. You have to prepare it. If you don't prepare it, you're, not going to, you're never going to wake up and wing it and get enough protein. Okay. Uh, so for me, I'm 260 pounds. That's the baseline. But my right now, my plan, my coach has me on 350 grams a day. If I'm not eating my first meal at 6 a.m., I'm not getting my food in for the day. This is not happening. Okay, so I have to put forethought into that. Now, doing full-on meal plans and all that kind of stuff, you could do that if you want to, but you don't need to go down that road right away. Just start tracking your protein. Track it and then you'll find out you're low and then create a plan. And what I would say is just start with bulk prepping your protein. Grill up a bunch of chicken breasts, throw them in a Tupperware and keep them in your fridge. Fill up a bunch of steaks. Just have it ready to rock and roll because I think oftentimes too, hey, it's been a long day, you know, especially those of us married with kids, you a long day, but gee, i just going to tell something that frozen pizza out of the fridge. Then, you know, and that's where we start making poor decisions or hit a drive through or things like that.
0: So mm-hmm. prep your protein. Yeah, one of the things that I do is uh, I, I buy a rump roast, bottom round is what it's called. And it's like a, it's, it's a a really cheap cut of meat, cut of beef. You have to get it. You can't really get it. You can get it from Costco, but it's better if you get it from a a butcher and you put it in the oven. There's recipes online. I mean, you, 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 uh, you know, let it rest, you know, it, it get up to room temperature. And then you sear the outside on the broiler and that 500 degrees and you take it down to 350, and you leave it in there for, I don't know, 45 minutes or whatever. And then yeah, I have protein for days and it's really super lean. It's like mostly protein, very, very little fat compared to like ribeye or New York strip or whatever. Very inexpensive. You can get like three pounds of, of that for like $30 and like two of those for me, even when I'm going high, high protein, is more than enough. And it's done for the week. So I I couldn't agree with you more. That's great.
2: You know, what I love to do, the fastest way I can do protein is my wife has an Instant Pot, which is glorious. Mm. I could put two bags of frozen chicken in there, or we actually raise our own meat chickens in the backyard, (laughs) but I could stick two bags of frozen chickens in there. It's done in 20 minutes. I drain the water while it's still hot. I put in any of my sauces or seasonings, whatever. And I get my wife's electric mixer and I shred it. And then I put it tuck where it's in the fridge. And then I can make loaded baked potatoes. I can put it on top of rice. I could just eat it by itself. Like I just shred it while it's still hot. And it's really easy to just throw it in my fridge. And then I've got tons of meat protein for days, like you said.
0: Oh, shredded chicken. Shredded chicken is the best. Thank you for reminding me. I've been doing really heavy beef. By the way, just as an aside, I've become basically almost carnivore now, like not intentionally. But I've definitely found that since i cut back <laughs> on dairy, I'm not big on carbs right now because keto tends to keep my energy levels more level throughout the day versus having carbs. So it's so I stick with that so I don't have an energy crash in the afternoon. So I've been doing under 50 grams of carbs per day for a while now and it's been really nice. But like I've also discovered that eating eating dairy, I tend to get congested. And so it's like okay, so low, no carbs, no dairy. I'm basically just eating meat and eggs now and it's actually it's actually kind of working for me. There you <laughs> so. go. I did a modified keto approach
2: one time um just to experiment this is why i was still doing strongman so here's the thing Mm -hmm. exactly what you just said i i limited myself to eggs and meat and then some fruit like blueberries and then local honey um yeah what i found was my my cognition was incredible like neck level sharp Um, the acuity was there no afternoon crashes the problem with the no carbs for me as a strongman competitor my strength dropped so bad it dropped so bad. So I told my wife, like, in the future, when I'm out of the bodybuilding and strength world, and maybe I'm just pursuing more endurance-style activities or doing jiu I might kind of go back to that. If I'm pursuing you know, heavily just involved in my business ventures and not needing to lift at this level, uh, I might go back to that because I did truly enjoy the no afternoon crash, um, all of that sort of stuff that came along with it, but I did not enjoy my dip in performance in the gym. <laughs>
0: Yes, that that is one thing. That is one thing that I've noticed is is that it's it's good for a specific set of times, but it's like it's not a it's not a lifestyle thing. So it's it's not for long term for me anyway. So yeah, it's like finding the right carbs, berries in particular. Like I remember when I was when I was uh, eating berries, and I would look at something like strawberries. It's actually a very bulky fruit for a very low amount of carbs, which is a nice feeling. It's very filling. Honey is also really great compared to like bread or something like that. So I completely agree with you on that.
2: Yeah. When I was in prep and it felt like I was eating air (laughs) for like the last eight weeks of my life because calories were so low, I would take fresh zucchini from the garden because zucchini has like nothing in it. And I would chop it really, really thin with uh, thin slices of potatoes and then red onions. And I would saute all that up with a tiny little bit of cheese in there and then some sea salt and black pepper. But I would get this giant plate full of skinny little bit of was so the whole plate like a hundred calories, <laughs> it's something absurd. It
0: was awesome. This has been really fantastic. I, I and one of the things that I really like about the things that you um, the things that you put out there is you put out a confident, godly Christian masculinity. And I wonder for the men listening and the men who follow you and the men who have, who follow you on Twitter who who maybe uh, are wondering where you went. I wonder if you have any uh, final words of advice that you'd like to give to the men. Uh, listening and watching well i
2: appreciate those kind words and that's um it's humbling and sobering because again i am acutely aware of my failings um as well so and i know when when i stole and pushed things out of pride and arrogance people see that and so i would i would just caution people to uh not follow my example in that regard when you see that and i am open to um to gentle rebuke and correction, because I'm trying to grow in that. And at the same time as well, don't be scared to be bold about what you believe. Stand up for what you believe, say it confidently, um, and, and strive with me to master uh, your emotions and not get worked up and be like Christ who, when reviled, did not revile again. Again, that doesn't mean that you don't defend truth. It just means that you don't descend to that level of ad hominem attacks and uh, Thing that we know, we know when we're cross-eyed.
0: right, right, well, praise God for that. Praise God, thank you. I, 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 uh, I, I couldn't agree more. So, um, where, Amen. Where can men go to find out more about you and what you do?
2: Sure. So that's a good question. I need to um, actually look up my Twitter handle. It is uh, at Anthony Deal Three, and then on Instagram, I am Coach Anthony Deal can find me there and spelled d-i-e-h-l
0: well thank you so much man this has been fantastic and i think it's going to bless a lot of men who have been who, who'll be listening
2: so awesome. thank you so much hey, i appreciate the opportunity and uh for asking me to come on it's been a pleasure